welcome back and uh, welcome in to anybody new to the uh, Circumpolar People podcast. It's uh, quite a tongue twister, that one. But uh, I'm Austin Daly, and I'm here today with uh, Danielle Coronado, Joshua Bennett, Ambriel Bettis. And we are talking about the Polar Night. <clears throat> so the Polar Night is a very interesting thing. It goes against most people's uh, sayings and beliefs of, you know, don't worry about it too much. The sun will still come up tomorrow. Well, for some people in parts of the world in the um, Arctic Circle, that's not necessarily true. It can go up to two months without the sun. And that affects a lot of people in a lot of different ways. Um, there's been things out there that, you know, some people can get depressed because of it, because of uh, lack of vitamin D, you know, just the feeling of no sun uh, puts a lot of people down. They stay in bed, uh, but also uh, brings the community together, which I found very interesting. Yes. Yeah. It, uh brings them together it, because it's like you can't really um it's hard to get through that by yourself right so That's, yeah yeah you have people helping you along with it mm-hmm. especially you know your locals that have been through it quite a few times they know to look out for your newcomers that are vacationing to areas up there they want to make sure everybody keeps a uh, positive they have uh two festivals one at the start and one at the end and i found that interesting because the one at the end is probably to celebrate that it's over uh, but the one at the start is probably a, more of a, you know, we don't care how bad this is going to get. We're all ready. We're here as a community getting together to try to have a good time with it. Um, so the, I found that interesting. Another thing that I found was uh, a lot of people buy, because uh, you hear about it now and you think of ancient times, you know, th- how people dealt with it thousands of year, years ago. But now there's, you know, modern technology in these places. So they'll buy stuff like uh, light therapy lamps, which is like, Lamps that mimic sunlight, like more than just a lamp that has a light. Mm. So they use that to try to keep their circadian rhythm intact, like how they sleep. Um, a lot of people actually, they'll spend a lot of time inside, of course, because it's a lot colder than usual. And it's already pretty cold up there. But uh, it, the day-to-day is the same, and a lot of people still get together to watch the northern lights because without that sun, you know, even on parts of the earth, like, dampening the light it's like as beautiful as it ever looks during the polar night so that's a big thing but yeah the day-to-day is the same people still got to get up go to work go to school and you know that's crazy to me i can't imagine going two months without the sun i mean i'm not an outside person in general but i still like know when i wake up it's bright outside and you know other than the sun being in my eyes on the drive here to school so yeah i, just I like enjoy the sun i like being able to see what i can do right yeah <laughs> so and then I know there's a lot of uh, information about the science behind it and what goes into it. And I've always found that, uh, wondered what that went like, because, you know, it was very religious back in times before they had a lot of science to figure out what it is. So I'm sure oh, yeah, we've got that, some information on that. Yeah, that's definitely what I went into, um, more into like how it happens exactly. And like, as as I hope most of us know, the earth, how it tilts on the axis as it, so, as it circles the sun. So like when it does that, the northern part, or like the North Pole, it's like tilted away, obviously. So then they get no sun at all, and that's exactly what causes the polar night. Mm. And the polar night, it's like defined when, it, like the sun, when they don't see the sun for at least twenty four hours, or like they're they're without it for at least twenty four hours. And like the more north you go, the more like to the center of the North Pole you go, the longer it takes. But like on the average, it lasts like around thirty days. Um. But, like, for, like, the Inuit, it can last up to, like, four and a half months. And, like, in Tromso, Norway, where a lot of, like, the Sami live, the indigenous people live, it 
and like specifically to get specific, they get from like November twenty seventh to January fifteenth. But like because of the mountains around them, it can get darker even before that, and it can last after that. That's crazy. Some people they only got to deal with it for a day or two, and then they're like, mm-hmm. "This is over." In other places, they like, four months was it almost? Mm-hmm. They, they must think they're a lot better than the other people. <laughs> they they got to deal with it longer, so definitely. And of course, like the lack of sun, like you said, the circadian rhythm, how it depends. It really depends a lot on like the amount of like light you see. So, like obviously when. There's none of that. Their rhythm or like their it, it controls sort of like your sleep pattern. So like when they don't see the sun for a while, it kind of shifts it a little. So then like they're drowsier and they get like really drowsy. Like like to get specific, like the um melatonin is released mm. when like they you don't get a lot or you don't see a lot of light. So then obviously them not seeing it, they get a lot of that and that makes them like obviously sleepier, which can also make them like more irritable, which causes yeah. a little of that like tension like um. Obviously, like some depression, maybe because you the know irritation. Yeah, irritation I wonder, like, if they sell because here, uh, where we have sunlight all year round, and we're on our phones constantly and electronics, we take melatonin mm-hmm. because we lack it in our body. I wonder what the opposite of that is that they sell to try to counteract all the melatonin they get without sun. I wonder um, if they got something like that. I'm sure it definitely affects their routine because I have trouble waking up now oh, yeah. for class. Mm-hmm. I would yeah. struggle if it was <laughs> right. Um. You know, the circadian rhythm also, like, it, it can affect different other things, like your diet and such, which, no. Habits. Yeah. Meal plans, that type, or meal times, that type stuff. Makes it harder to pick a time. So, and I'm pretty sure you, you went into that, their eating habits and such. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, the, their diets change a lot during the uh, the polar night because, I mean, just hunting gets a lot, it gets a lot more uh, difficult. Um, especially with like, they have to, uh, to get their vitamin D, they actually have to hunt for it. So they, um, they hunt during the polar night. They usually hunt, they, they actually hunt, uh, polar bears. They hunt seals and they fish a lot. I bet that's pretty dangerous. The polar bears and all that. Yeah. I mean, that probably takes like quite a few people to get that and bring it back. (laughs) I mean, it. It's food though. You gotta you gotta get what you gotta get. That's true. I can barely hunt like a rabbit or something. I can't imagine something like four times my body. Probably more than that. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. Imagine the amount of meat they get off from it though. That's true. They actually make a uh, a polar bear stew. Is that like a seasonal thing? Like they only hunt it during polar night, or is that a year round? You know. You know. Uh. I I would think it would be a year round thing because polar bears are year round. Yeah, I guess. Does the polar bear um, food that they hunt, does that last for a long time, or do they kind of share it throughout the community? Uh, well, polar bears are pretty big, so I'd, <laughs> I'd say it would last a pretty good while. Um, <laughs> but, um, I wonder if, like, for diets, like, if that if they lose weight or because they have times, like, where they can either be a little bit more depressed, they'll eat more, so they gain weight. They're not outside doing much. Mm-hmm. But I know from personal experience being out in, like, some uh, negative uh, weather at times, like, below zero, that it actually helps you lose weight quicker because yeah, shivering. You're, you're burning calories. Yeah, shivering is, like, four times the amount of, like, energy used yeah. to shiver for weight loss and all that. So I, w- I wonder if, like, they're actually in pretty good shape after polar night. And so. I'm sure with the, food in- with the food insecurity that they have without being able to, like, hunt a lot during the night, I'm sure they do lose, like... A significant amount of weight yeah yeah with everything 
being cold and <clears throat> with everything being cold. Um, do they hunt for their vitamin D? Yeah, they have to hunt for it. Really? They have to because like it's just like everything they eat, like the polar bears, fish, and seals. Like they're just they're just packed with nutrients. Yeah. Oh yeah, that makes sense. I wonder like how those animals deal with it. Vitamin D wise, what are they hunting? Uh, I don't know if I don't know if they need vitamin. I mean, they probably do, but not they, as easy. You can't go down to a local uh, grocery store and just grab a bottle of vitamin D pills. No, no, that probably be su- it's probably super expensive to get that. That's true, especially up in the uh, the Arctic. Um. Yeah. But another thing they do is they um. They're they're very communal with their with their food as well. They oh, look, yeah. they they share their food a lot. Mm-hmm. I saw that uh, while I was looking up some of the the hunting they do for fish. Mm-hmm. Like they'll uh, they'll keep that, like they'll eat what they need, but all the excess goes to, like goes a to community. Like, yeah, type it goes thing. to a community thing. Yeah, and like it don't matter like who's got problems with who. Like that food's for the people. It's who for need. everybody. Yeah. That's and that's that's cool. Like community wise, like, I there's find not that much really, here. That I we find that, that yeah, like you you li- you come here mm-hmm. and. There's not really like a communal aspect to anything. Right. It's like fend for yourself. Yeah, everybody's just on their own path day to day. But up there, it's like, hey, we're all in this together. Yeah, you know, either f- community or freeze. So, would that's you pretty guys cool. say that like that makes one of their biggest weaknesses their biggest strengths? Them working together. Well, that they have to work together versus being in a made for yourself kind of society like America. I think it is a pretty good strength, especially like for like up and comers. Or, mm-hmm. um, like, younger folks, like, throughout the community. Because I feel like that's something, like, growing up, looking back on that I know I really didn't have. Like, I feel like that'd be really nice to have. Like, I can go to anybody in the community, and, like, they know what I'm going through. They know a certain struggle right. that we, they can all relate to. And that's that's got to be pretty cool, just knowing that they, they've been through it. I feel like it really invokes the phrase, it takes a community. Oh, yeah. Because, or it takes a village. Oh, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I mean, their community aspects, it really is hard to get through a time like that. So being able to have that community and being able to have like elders who know what they're doing and who have been through this a long time, like it probably helps. Oh, yeah. I bet they really look up to their elders. Oh, yeah. I wonder if they've got the same thing we got here, though, with like older people. Like I walked uphill both ways to school in the snow. I wonder if the elders (laughs) like exaggerate their polar nights. Like it ain't nearly as bad with global warming here. (laughs) Right. It's not nearly as cold as it was when I was growing up. I'm sure they're not like that. I'm sure they have a, a good outlook on it. Um, considering their outlooks on that, uh, so I researched how they uh, celebrate in the return of the sun, and I specifically researched the Sami people in Tromso, Norway, and um, they view themselves as children of the sun and the earth, and that's why they like heavily celebrate the return of the sun. And I think that they they just see it as a natural part of life. They try to really combat the depression that comes without seeing the sun by being more community integrated. They do a lot of um, storytellings with like deep meanings. They pass on the myths in their community. They like to do com- community dances and they like to sing traditional songs. That's pretty cool. No disrespect to the to them though, but I got a question like. To call yourself the children of the sun and the sun goes away for like up to four months is kind of a bold thing to claim, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> now, much science behind that? Children of the sun and the sun's like, nah, I'm out of here. Well, I think it really helps them appreciate the sun when it is there. Like, uh, you yeah. never know if something's worth until it's gone. So, uh, when the true. sun is gone, I feel like it's a real test to their um, 
to their religious views on it. Uh, yeah, we'd lose our mind if the sun disappeared yeah. for them. They're like, yeah, just another another Monday around here. So. Yeah. Well, the traditional songs that they do, I think it's really interesting. They're called yoiks. They're sung like deep in the throat, and they can consist of throat or they can consist of throat singing, but they're not like the exact same thing. I know that the Inuit do throat singing to celebrate their um, kind of stuff, but the for the Sami people specifically, it's really like it. Their songs are their poetry, and their songs are like considered like special art to them. So not much rap up there. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, they have a Taylor Swift up there. I've heard that they're yolk singing. You know, I'm going to get a lot of hate, and then we're going to get a lot of downvotes on this, but it might be better than Taylor Swift. So, I mean, I just, I said it. But the yolk singing, it's got, it comes from, like, the soul. Yeah. You know, I know a lot of people are going to say, so does Taylor Swift singing? Oh, yeah, well, fair enough. Um, is it, you got more? What, what would they perform that yoke singing for? What would that be? Is that something sacred? When, when would that rise to the occasion? The yoiks use, um, the Sami people use yoiks as kind of like a celebratory songs. And they sing them like all throughout the year, but specifically for the polar night, they really focus on, you know, spreading the love through the yoiks and spreading like their passion to the community. Oh, wow. That's interesting. So you said it comes from the throat, like, is it throat just regular yeah. throat singing? It's different from the throat singing. Yoiks are sung from like deep in the throat, but it's not the exact same. Yoiks also have like the drums that accompany them, and they have like different types of uh, singing. Like it's separate from the throat singing, but they can't like consist of each other. Like they can have throat singing inside of the yoik or like in the yoik. Interesting. I bet that dates back to like yeah. early in their um, I don't know what is it called not peoplehood. <laughs> I don't know what the word is. The, history. Yeah, in their history. Yeah. yeah. It does sound like this is a very um, humanitarian village and, like, area, a part of mm-hmm. Norway, it sounds like, um, that they're very, you know, community-based and natural resource-wise. They seem like they really utilize a lot of natural resources. Yeah. yeah. I mean, up there in the, it's the, the, the Arctic Circle, it's, like, nothing mm-hmm. but resources. That's the problem with yeah. Modern times, a lot of uh, these countries are trying to get up there and take all those resources, which I'm sure they're not too uh, happy about. But like uh, when it comes to like preparing for this, like we mentioned earlier, the modern technologies does help them as well because you know they don't need all them dogs for dog sleigh. Right. They can just use a snowmobile and they've got their light therapy lamps instead of just dealing with it. I don't even know. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a double-edged sword, I guess. I feel like their um, like community integration really helps with the depression around that time mm. because I saw some articles that said that they like actually if you're like really community based during that time you'll see like less depression rates yep. even despite like not having the sun and being in a, like a completely different environment than you're used to. Yeah, and we just uh, watched a movie not too long ago in our class, and we know that up there in the Arctic Circle that uh, depression can be a a very big problem, like not to get too dark during the podcast, but the suicide rates up there were some of the highest yeah. in the world. And just based on um, a community sport, uh, lacrosse, right? Was it? Yes, it was lacrosse. Lacrosse, like that brought a sense of community back to the whole village and suicide rates dropped like to zero because of it. And that's that's crazy. Gave them something to do. Yeah, they gave them something to do. And just like how we were talking earlier about like just knowing that people are going through the same thing like, even that, at times, isn't enough. They still need, like, an outlet 
something to have fun to put their heart and soul into. So, yeah, anything that helps depression is good. So I feel like the Grizzlies movie, like you were talking about, Mm -hmm. it really showed how they're like just so community based, which is really I mean, it's important for this type of the specifically the polar night, but also just to have that community in general. Mm -hmm. Like it's very helpful for like they're surviving the way of just like surviving through their way of life. Yeah. I found it interesting. Um, and there, there's no knocking. Well, there's a knock, but after that, you just walk right in. You don't have to wait. And I, I was wondering if that's like, um, you know, we trust this community so much. We trust each other that you just can walk right in. We, you know, or it was like, it's cold. I'm not waiting outside. <laughs> so I feel like with them trusting each other, that's also like it ties into them sharing the food and stuff because they can trust their community to like help them up and to uplift them when they're struggling yeah that's that what that's crazy to me like trusting people like i caught this food like that would never fly here right like just giving food to strangers right like this is mine i like imagine if you bought went to the store bought food and when you're checking out somebody's like all right i'm gonna thank you and you're just like wait wait a minute i'm I'm gonna come get my food yeah (laughs) those are fighting words as the kids say but uh, I was really interested. I, did did you find anything on the science, like if the community or the people, like how they believe in it? Because I know for they found like it very religious, especially the northern lights. And like once like modern man, I guess, was like, well, actually, it's electrons and protons in the air. It's no, it's not whatever it is. Do you know if that affected them in any way? The northern lights? Like, like the people up there that believed it to have like a uh, more symbolic uh, reasoning. Well, I think it did because during the polar night, obviously it's so dark. It's like easier to see the mm-hmm. lights. So, like I guess that's very because they don't they believe in some way it's like the spirits like guiding them or watching over them. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder if like how they reacted to like, like I said, like modern technology, modern people getting up there and like actually yeah. no, it's just here's the science behind it. Yeah. I wonder if they like integrated that into like their learnings or they were like completely like no. That's not what it is. One last thing. I wanted to talk about how you said it was, like, really dangerous with the polar bears at night. How, I mean, in that type of darkness, I'm sure it has to be super dangerous for them to be polar bear hunting Mm. and, like, just out in general. I bet it takes, like, eight people to take down a single polar bear. Yeah. Probably more than that. They probably wear, like, a headlamp and it, like, gets no visibility. Like, nothing in front of them still. (laughs) Austin, you said that they still go to school and go to work during that time. Yeah, they keep... I wonder if their streetlights work, like how that goes. I just, I think it's so interesting to see that they go out during night because I'm scared to walk my dog at night. Yeah. So going well, got, out. No, it doesn't matter day. when they go out. They can go out in the middle of the day and it's still yeah. night. So yeah, I wonder how it was before they had streetlights. Yeah, that's got to be crazy. Can you I imagine mean, them being like growing up there and it's like, oh yeah, the sun's gone. I'm sure <laughs> the modern technology has helped a lot with that. Probably. Well, I think that's a, a good place to wrap it up. Uh, I feel like we've learned a lot, discussed a lot about Polar Night. Um, Thank you guys for tuning in to the Circumpolar People podcast. Again, that's a tongue twister for me. uh, Thank you.